Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this podcast coming to you from Ceres, Cambach and Springfield Church in the Presbytery of St Andrews in Fife. May there be a blessing for you as you gather with us in worship and especially so if you are listening on your own. At the beginning of our worship, a moment's quiet. Our first hymn, Before the World Began, One Word Was There. You'll find it's 317 in the hymn book. This is sung by the Cathedral Singers of Chicago and conducted by John Bell. prayer. Let us pray. God our Father, your love is at work in all that you've made. Son of God, in your likeness we are made new. Holy Spirit, you touch our lives with hope. Receive our worship at this time, claim us for your service and set us free that we might honour you today in the living of our lives. Holy God, giver of light, giver of grace, we've sinned against you and against our fellow men and women through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have belittled your love. We've betrayed your trust. We are sorry. We're ashamed. 
we turn away from all our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and lead us out from darkness that we might walk as children of light. In the stillness of this time, may we hear that word that sets us free, saying to us, be at peace and know yourself forgiven. Know yourself set free to love and to serve. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from you alone come everlasting joy and peace. Fill us with joy in your promises. Send us out to be bearers of your peace. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray as we say together the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's share together now in the word of God. First of all, in the epistle to the Hebrews, and this is from Hebrews chapter 3, 1 to 8. And the writer says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering too. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Amen. Our second reading is from the Gospel of St. Luke. It's a very familiar story of the prodigal son. Luke 15, 11 to 31. Luke 15, 11 to 31. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here am I, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has him back, safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. Amen. And may the word of God be a blessing to your heart today. Our reflection now. You mean you will not have a cup of tea with me? The lady was aghast. I was visiting a village on the shores of Loch Torridon where I was working as student minister. I had probably had about six cups of tea that afternoon and the same number or more of homemade scones. So I had politely declined when Mrs. MacDonald offered me tea. I realised quickly I had committed a serious faux pas. Hospitality in the Highland tradition has almost the status of a holy sacrament. In saying no to this lady's tea and scones, I was, unwittingly, rejecting her welcome, rejecting her hospitality. I learned my lesson. And from that day on, I refused nothing. It was a hard job, but somebody had to do it. By the way, in naming Mrs. MacDonald, I'm not giving away secrets. Just about everyone in that village was called MacDonald and had various nicknames to differentiate them one from the other. One day, a visitor offered to take out the family dog in the house where she was staying at that time. This produced much discussion between two locals who were talking by the shore. Who was that lass who just walked past then? I'm not sure about the lass, but that dog, that dog was definitely a McDonald's. Even the dogs were called McDonald's. Hospitality lies at the heart of the gospel. And maybe that's why those Highland folk made so much of it. Our Hebrews reading said, Always remember to welcome a stranger. Some people have welcomed angels without knowing it. Well, that's a thought. Welcoming angels without knowing it. I'll never forget the night when I was student minister up there that I gave hospitality to some German angels. Well, they were actually angels in the shape of German venture scouts. It was a really wet night. A real drich night, as we'd say in Scotland. I was sitting in my caravan manse, listening to the Archer's radio programme. There was a knock on the door. Two bedraggled young men stood there. In broken English, they explained their situation. They were having a miserable time. They had all been attacked by the Mitches, as they called them. And one of them had burned his leg on their camp fire. They were in a terrible state. And they were soaking wet. Could they, they asked me, please sleep in the little tin hut that was Kinlochu Church? I made a quick phone call to check and was told that this would be fine. And so a grateful troop of German scouts spent a dry night in the church building. What they didn't tell me was that they were actually a mixed group of venture scouts. And in the morning, the camp fence was festooned with articles of female underclothing. I'm sure the villagers of Kinlochu are still talking about that student minister. Hospitality 
welcoming the stranger, welcoming those in need. It is indeed at the heart of Highland culture. I recall driving over the pass of the cattle, the Bialach Naba, to take worship at Applecross, while the minister, Kenny Ban, was taking communion at Torridon. I was invited back to the manse, of course, and when Kenny got back from Torridon, his gracious and gentle wife served us a lovely supper of salmon. Poached salmon in more ways than one, I suspect. At least Kenny grinned and said to me, Now, Jim, when you get salmon as good as this, you never ask where it came from. Hospitality. Not only the heart of Highland culture, but the heart of the gospel. So many of Jesus' stories, including that of the prodigal son, involve the table, the feast, the banquet. Indeed, we know that Jesus upset the equivalent of the Kirk elders of his day by sitting down at the table of fellowship with all and sundry. At that time, your standing in your local synagogue was seen at least partly in terms of who you included, or more importantly, in who you excluded from your table. Table fellowship was a big issue in terms of purity, and you certainly would not have a tax collector or someone of dubious reputation at your table if you valued your reputation in the synagogue. For this reason, Jesus is castigated time and time again for sitting down with all sorts of sinners and outcasts. Jesus kept an open table, and he taught that purity was not to define by what you didn't do or who you didn't welcome to your table. Purity was very much a matter of the heart and of your attitudes towards others. And it certainly was not something produced by a long list of external taboos and rules. This is such a topical message with serious implications. The open table of the master declares any kind of racism to be absolute and utter blasphemy. The parable of the prodigal son must have been a real shocker to those who heard it at first. After all, the younger son has disgraced the family honour. And in that culture, as in many other cultures today, that was a big thing. According to the culture of that time, the son deserves to have the dog set upon him and chased off the family estate. The cheek of him to come home in that state after having wrecked his father's inheritance. But Jesus does not present God the Father as a gives you what you deserve sort of God at all. Too many of us are working with that model, I suspect. But this father longs for his wayward children to come home, throws his dignity to the wind, lifts up the skirts of his robes and positively races to meet his son. In throwing away any sense of decorum and dignity, that in itself was shocking. And of course, the story features a great banquet of celebration where the disgraced son, instead of being thrown off the property, is made the guest of honour. How shocking. I know we all feel sorry for the elder son, but do remember, this is a parable. The elder son stands for Jesus holier than thou critics who are saying of those whom he shared table with whom he shared table fellowship. These riffraff, these rebels don't deserve to be treated like that. This Jesus is making forgiveness far too easy. Look at these characters he is welcoming and forgiving and accepting. This is just not on. So do remember that the very judgmental attitude of the elder brother to the younger one, talking about him wasting all his money on prostitutes and so on. Remember that was very much intended to be referring to the attitude of the holier-than-thou characters who are so condemning of those that Jesus welcomed. Do remember that. As I say, we still struggle with the notion that God freely accepts us, freely welcomes us, freely welcomes us to his table and forgives us. Some time ago now, in a situation of serious illness, as I was going about my pastoral work, I was visiting someone who seemed to think that God's welcome at the end of life's day was very much something we had to earn, to deserve. And this poor man was so sure he just hadn't done it properly. He hadn't done it well enough. He just hadn't measured up. 
He had tried his best, he said sadly, but he just hadn't measured up. Oh dear, I come across this so often. Don't we get it? It's all gift. It's all grace. That's what the cross of Christ is all about. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Accept that you are accepted. Some of us, maybe most of us, are much better at forgiving others than we are at believing that we ourselves are forgiven and set free in Christ. You know, for all the hospitality I experienced in the Highlands, there was a real contradiction that I came across in the churches there. People were so welcoming and gracious, but many of them somehow doubted that God extended that same gracious welcome to themselves. You see, in the past there had been a dreadful practice called fencing the tables. This meant that in order to be welcomed to the Lord's table for communion, you had to be interviewed by the Kirk Session to see if you were worthy of sitting at the table. I believe at that time, some at least of the stricter Presbyterian denominations like the Free Presbyterians were still doing some form of fencing the tables. I got to know a quiet old man who had served the church so faithfully in a particular role for some 40 years, yet he was an adherent of that congregation and not a member. He had never taken communion. He wasn't worthy. Who is? Communion is a gift, a sign of God's grace, never a token of our achievements, a sign of God's free and forgiving grace. And then I think of Johnny and Jeannie, not their real names, who welcomed me to their cosy cottage for many a supper. They knew what hospitality was all about. They were in their pew every Sunday, but they were not members of the church. They had never shared in communion. I think this is about more than the Highlands. Too many people, and not just in the Highlands, are living with the distorted idea of a God as a gives you what you deserve sort of God. You have to earn this God's favour. You have to earn it by your own efforts rather than a life of service being the fruit of a graciously given life of forgiveness. I think we need to think about this. What is your model of God? Is your model of God that of a gives you what you deserve sort of God? Or rather a God who freely welcomes, forgives and accepts you. And on the basis of that free acceptance, you live your life as a glad offering of service for God and humanity and the world. For goodness sake, if you think of God in terms of a give you, gives you what you deserve sort of a God, or if you're perhaps tempted towards a kind of self-righteousness because you think you've done quite well, read the prodigal son. Here's the son who's brought disgrace upon the whole family. As the Glaswegians say, he comes home absolutely minging emaciated, stinking of pig muck. And yet the father doesn't see the pig muck or smell it. All he notices, all he sees, is the son that he loves so much. I do believe that in Christ, God sees in each of us the daughter, the son that he loves so much, and not the mess or the, perhaps the muck of our lives. Reckless, Generous welcome is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reckless, generous welcome is the very heartbeat of the church. And we've not always learned that. We've not always lived that in the past. Such radical welcome defines any kind of racism, as we said, as utter, total blasphemy. And so may we embody that welcome, that hospitality in all our living, and may we also know that we are radically welcomed by a gracious God whose face is Jesus Christ, who sits down with us at our table. And now, another hymn.
If you're following the hymn book, you'll find it 619. It's a hymn, Spirit of the Living God, and it's sung by the Celtic group Eden's Bridge. That was lovely, wasn't it? Our prayers of thanksgiving and our prayers for others. Hidden God, we rejoice that we can know you in Jesus Christ, who by eating with the outcast broke down barriers, by touching the leper brought wholeness and healing, who by welcoming Mary Magdalene proclaimed forgiveness. We give thanks that he accepted a drink of water from a Samaritan woman, gained strength from a Roman soldier's faith, and received help from an African who carried his cross. We give thanks that because of his example, prejudice no longer binds us, because of the walls that he brought tumbling down, divisions are gone. Fear has lost its power, and all that makes us weak has met its match in Christ. And so we offer ourselves and our lives to you this week, and we bring our prayers for others. Almighty God, we pray for those locked in circumstances beyond their control, restrained by oppressors, and seeing no end to their captivity. May they discover hope buried in deepest suffering through Jesus Christ, who shared the weakness and despair of human life, who, who even gave death a new outcome and brought resurrection from a closed tomb. Join with me. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the church set in the world to show how people belong together with you and one another in Christ. And show us how your gifts are given to be shared. Grant that as we feel for the rejection and voicelessness of others, we may meet Christ in them and may bear witness to his transforming love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the communities in which we live, in which we work. For people under stress, especially at this time of lockdown especially for those unable to deal with their difficulties, for those who feel they are at the end of their tether, for those who seek comfort in ways that bring no help. We pray for all who are fearful. Give us grace to show by our concern and by our action how each one is loved 
and valued by you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We remember those now hidden from us, but at home with you. We give thanks especially for those who have strengthened our weak faith, built up our trust in you, and by their life have drawn us deeper into the life of Christ, who died in weakness and who now reigns in glory. We bind up all our prayers in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Our final hymn, once again, this is sung by the Cathedral Singers of Chicago, conducted by John Bell. Incidentally, John Bell is the author, or one of the authors of the opening and the closing hymn today. You will find this hymn 533 in the hymn book, if you're following the words. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you let my life be grown in you and you in me? Will you leave yourself Especially if you are alone. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. May you know the blessing of Christ as you listen to this podcast today, and especially so, may you know the blessing of Christ if you are alone or if you are troubled at this time. May Christ be with you. And we listen to the hymn, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say. It's sung to us by Manchester Cathedral Choir, and you, if you're following in the hymn book, it's five four zero.
Let all the earth acclaim the Lord. Worship the Lord in gladness. Let us pray. Lord God, the wonders of your creation, the splendor of the heavens, the beauty of the earth, the order, the richness of nature, all speak to us of your incredible glory. The coming of your Son, the presence of your Spirit, the fellowship of your church, show us the wonders and the depths of your love for us and all the worlds. We worship you, we adore you, God of grace, God of glory, through Jesus Christ our Lord. God of mercy and God of love and humbleness of heart, we confess that we have fallen so far short of all that we are, of all that you've called us to be. We forget to love and serve you and we wander from your ways. We are careless of the world you have given us and we put its life in danger. We talk of our concern for others, but we do not always match our words with our actions. Forgive us. And in the stillness of this time, may we hear the word that sets us free, that says to us, be at peace. Know yourself forgiven. Know yourself set free to love and to serve. Heavenly Father, be with us in every experience of life, especially at this difficult time. When we neglect you, remind us that you're there. When we are frightened, give us the courage that we need. When we are tempted, give us the power to resist. And when we're anxious and worried, grant us your deep peace. When we are weary in service, give us new energy and zeal. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray, using the prayer he himself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The theme of our service today is homecoming and exile. Reading first in the book of Genesis, part of the, the story of Adam and Eve, which of course is our story, the story of Mr. and Mrs. Humanity. And we're reading Genesis 3 from 8 to 24. Following on from Adam's disobedience in eating the fruit from the tree from which he was forbidden to eat. At verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it. All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. 
for dust you are, to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. And our short gospel reading from the Gospel of Mark, the first eight verses. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And may the word of God be a blessing to you today. Our reflection. A kind of a homecoming. It's the title of an album by the Irish rock band U2. It also very succinctly describes my feelings when, as a student minister of Kinloch Ewan Torridon some 30 years ago, I made my way back to the West Highlands every summer at the end of the university term. Once I reached Loch Cannon, I knew I was in the home stretch. Soon I was heading down the dramatic Glen Doherty with Loch Marie glistening in the distance. Just past a welcome sign for Kinloch Ewe, the wee green hut otherwise known as Kinloch U Church, and the caravan manse beside it came into view. The car was unloaded, the caravan aired, and I made a quick cup of tea. Then I went for a wander round the village, where I was greeted like the long-lost brother, home again. Some years after that, I sat down in the cinema to watch the film Loch Ness, an enjoyable family fantasy about the Loch Ness monster. Despite its apparent location in Loch Ness, much of it had actually been filmed in the parish where I had worked. And when the film opened with a car winding its way slowly down Glen Doherty, I felt a real lump in the throat. And even more so when the village pub in the film turned out to be the house on Loch Torridon where I had gone for a meal every week. Special memories indeed. The experience of exile and homecoming seems to be at the heart of Highland culture. Whether that exile was the forced, brutal exile of the post-Culloden oppression, the cruelty of the clearances, or the economic exile forced by a hard and unyielding landscape, the world was populated by exiles from the highlands and islands of Scotland. From the anonymous Canadian boat song, A Song of Exile. From the lone shielding of the misty island, mountains divide us in the wastes of seas. Yet still the blood is strong, the heart is highland, and we in dreams behold the Hebrides. Yet still the blood is strong, the heart is highland. For me that verse sums up the wonderful highland homing instinct, a reality of which I became very aware as I wandered around the parish. I met people who had spent their working lives abroad, often in Canada or in the United States, but in latter years they'd come out of exile back to the village and sometimes even to the house of their birth. Exile, homecoming. It's an experience that's at the very heart of biblical faith. 
as in the stories of the Exodus and of the later enforced exile in Babylon. I'm sure the Highlanders could empathise with the exiled psalmist, sitting sadly by the rivers of Babylon, thinking of home and asking so poignantly, How can I sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We read that haunting story of the expulsion of Adam and Eve from Eden, a very powerful and hugely important symbolic story. This is about us. This is our story. We are all exiles, rebels. We are left with what C.S. Lewis called our longing for the far country. We are on the wrong side of the door. We're outside the garden and deep within ourselves we know it. This is the human experience. The sense that we're fundamentally made for something much more than that we can see or touch. And there's a sense of restlessness and dissatisfaction about our lives. And so often we seek to satisfy that longing in ways that are not good at all for ourselves or one another. Augustine summed it up so poignantly. Lord, you've made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The words of Augustine were written something like 1,500 years ago or more. And yet I think these words would have really chimed in with my generation growing up in the late 60s and early 70s. We really evidence that sense of restlessness, that searching, that longing. What's it all about? Why are we here? We were haunted by that longing for the far country, by that sense of being on the wrong side of the garden door. Listen to these words. They are words of longing. A bit like Psalm 137 in their own way. They're from the song Woodstock by Canadian singer-songwriter Joni Mitchell. Then can I walk beside you? I have come here to lose the smog, and I feel to be a cog in something turning. Well, maybe it's just the time of year, or maybe it's the time of man. I don't know who I am, but you know life is for learning. We are stardust, we are golden. And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. We've got to get ourselves back to the garden. A song of exile indeed. Jesus comes as a great exile ender. The words of Isaiah that all four Gospels use to introduce his ministry are the words heralding the end of exile in Babylon proclaiming that God was indeed opening up a way for the exiles to come back home. And so the Gospel writers, in utilising this passage, proclaim the coming Christ as the one who ends that long exile and who calls us back home to our true, true dwelling, our true rootedness in God. In Christ... Humanity is summoned back to our true home in the God of compassion, justice and holiness. And so much of the brokenness and mess of our lives and of our world are evidence of that sad exile from the God of compassion, justice and holiness. In Christ, the long exile from Eden is ended and the way back is opened up for all. I know of one minister, a colleague of mine, who begins worship every week with the words, Welcome home, children of God. I like that. Welcome home, children of God. That really raises so many issues for us as a church. We are to be the community that makes real God's welcome home from exile. I'll say that again. We are to be the community that makes real and tangible terms God's welcome home. To his children from exile. Every church service should make real God's welcome. Anyone coming into a church community, and I don't just mean a building, should have a real sense of homecoming. There should be a kind of long sigh, oh, I'm at home here, this is great, I feel so relaxed, this is a good place, this is where I belong. That should be the feelings people have when they come into our midst. Come on in. It's so good to see you. 
there should be nothing stiff or solemn about our churches or our way of worshipping. If there is something stiff and solemn and pretentious, then we're contradicting that message of homecoming, of God's great homecoming grace that is natural and given and not forced. Come on in. You're at home. You're among friends. Welcome home, children of God. In John's Gospel, we find a lovely word, a favourite of John's, that is often translated as abide. In John 15, Jesus describes himself as the vine and the Father as the gardener. Abide in me, he says, just as I abide in you. In the borders, people would often ask when introduced to someone, and where do you abide? We abide in God. And God bides in us. We are home with God, living back home in the garden of God's presence, walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. None of this stuff is about being dreadfully pious or holier than now. It's not about that at all. It's about being at home with God, being natural with God, being our true selves with God, living out of that rootedness in God's grace, in God's welcome and justice. St Paul, writing to the Colossians, speaks of being rooted and grounded in love. That's it. What could be simpler and yet what could be more profound? To be rooted and grounded in the love of God. As a church of Christ, we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And how do we work that out in practice? How do we give flesh and bones to that in our parish and wider world? You know, at the end of the lockdown, there'll be all sorts of issues, some of them financial. But the most important question is this. How do we work out that gospel of homecoming grace in practice? How do we continue to give flesh and bones to that in our parish? Especially when there will be a lot of anxiety at the end of the lockdown period. Well, as those at home with God, we are charged with living out God's gracious hospitality in every aspect of our lives. We are charged with living out God's gracious hospitality, especially so in the common life that we share as the Church of Jesus Christ. What a simple message today, yet what a profound message. A kind of a homecoming. Come home, children of God. Amen. And we're going to listen to that song, Woodstock, by Joni Mitchell, but sung here by the folk band Matthew's Southern Comfort. A song of exile, a real song of longing. Woodstock.
we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Today, our main prayers for others will really be our closing hymn, which is a touching place, which goes through all the folk needing our prayers at this time. But having just reflected on that great theme of exile and homecoming, let's pause before that final hymn with a short prayer as we focus on that theme. Let's remember those who don't have a home. Let's remember the refugees, the wanderers, those who, like those, Canadian, those exiles from Scotland out in Canada, were longing for the hills of home, the mountains of home. Let's remember those in our midst who long for the hills, the mountains, the rivers of their home. Let's remember especially those who seem to be harried from pillar to post and feel so unwanted wherever they go. Let's remember the ongoing work of caring for refugees, of the, the work going on in our own parish as we gather clothes and other things that can be used by those in need who are wandering and homeless at this time. As we think of those themes of exile and homeless, we think of those homeless on our streets. We pray for them and we pray especially for all the agencies seeking to, end, to, to work to end homelessness. And we pray that we might be part of that work. We remember those for whom home is a dangerous place, a frightening place or an abusive place. We remember children for whom that home is anything but welcoming and safe. We remember the awful realities of domestic abuse. And we remember homes that are rather tense and fractious at this time because of the lockdown. We pray for your church, that we might give flesh and blood to your hospitality, your welcome, your justice, your loving care by being involved in whatever way we can in all those who lack home and safety at this time. We pray for ourselves as a parish. May we make real the love of Christ in all that we do. May we, may we make real the love of Christ in the way we live our lives and in the common life that we share together. We bind up these prayers in Christ's name and we make our last hymn a continuing prayer. And our final hymn is another hymn sung by the Cathedral Singers of Chicago, whom we heard last week. Once again, it's conducted by John Bell, one of the authors of the hymn. This is Christ is the world in which we move, sometimes known as the touching place. It's 724 in the hymn book. Let's really use this as a prayer, as the hymn talks of Christ's people, being a touching place where we might touch and care for the broken of the world. A touching place.
for the blip there. I hope you have been blessed by the service today. And now, wherever you are, and especially if you are on your own, especially if life is difficult for you at this time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give to you his peace. Amen. <laughs>